Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. You need to write as simple as possible. I've had the tweet where any writing that requires you to pull out a dictionary is bad writing, and I've had people lose their minds. Like, oh, what do you mean? Like, blah, blah, blah. The complexity should come from your ideas. A lot of people, they'll use big words to hide the fact that they don't know what the hell they're talking about to just seem smart. I think that's some of the dumbest shit you can do. Um, because at the end of the day, your writing is just displaying ideas or showing ideas in its best light. What's up, Dakota? Welcome to the podcast. What's up, brother? Appreciate you having me on. I'm super stoked about this. I'm talking to, I don't know if you're a real person or not because you're ghostwriting <laughs> all over the internet, but I'm stoked to talk to you today. Um, <laughs> I want to just get into it and say, how did you even get into marketing, copywriting, ghostwriting? Yeah. So I was originally into crypto in 2018. I was on Twitter just to keep up with the news, stumbled across a course on how to grow a Twitter account. Did that completely fumbled for the first three months, barely grew only to 750 followers. That's when I stumbled across an account. I was growing like crazy, grew to like a thousand followers in 30 days. And I was like, what is this guy doing that I'm not doing? Uh, eventually hopped on a few calls with him. He said he was in the same position that I was a year ago, uh, but he started studying copywriting and he was giving actual tips on the timeline and he was just growing like crazy. So that got my uh, gears turning in my head. I was like, okay, he's giving value to people. And because he's giving value, he's getting value back from people. People value him. So at the time I was studying web design, it's like, okay, copywriting is a great combo with web design. So I started studying copywriting, uh, applying what I was learning. I was teaching what I was learning on the timeline. So in that time span of three days, I grew to 100 followers. In 40 days, I grew to 1,000. And I just took it and ran with it. Then I got to the point, okay, I'm growing my audience, but how am I going to monetize this? Obviously copywriting. Uh, landed a copywriting client. It's pretty shitty. It was like $200 for a landing page. And it's just, it was being micromanaged. Like, this sucks, man. So at the time, JK Molina, he was popularizing ghostwriting or talking about ghostwriting. So I was, I was thinking, okay, why am I trying to be a small fish in a big pond with copywriting? when I could be a big fish in a small pond with ghostwriting, because I know how to grow my account. I know how to brand my account. I know how to write engaging copy on Twitter. Why don't I just specialize in that? So that's what I did within 28 days of launching my landing page for ghostwriting. I got to like 11 K a month. And that was like when I had 6,000 followers or 7,000 followers. I was like, Oh, there's something here. You can, you can make good money with this stuff. And then that was in November of 2020. 21. And I've just taken it and ran with it, uh, optimized my systems, how I land clients, uh, different skills, uh, delegating, hiring, all that stuff. So that's pretty much how I got into it. I'm a big fan of ghostwriters. And I think like 
a lot of people don't have time to do things and a lot of people are just bad at writing content. So if you can get someone to take your content and distill it in a format that fits a platform, I think that's just a gold mine, especially someone who has repeatedly done it for multiple people. How do you think about the process of ghostwriting? What makes great ghostwriting? It's pretty much just copywriting. There's a lot of parallels. So you need to you need to know how to capture attention. So that's with the headlines or your opening first line on a tweet. You need to know how to build interest. So with a lead, you need to raise awareness why something's important or what are the consequences if they don't do something or the benefits if they do follow through. And then you just need to keep them engaged. And that's where the copywriting comes in. So create open loops so you can have cliffhangers at the end of sentences, or you can ask questions throughout the copy and you, you're forced to simplify tweets or your, your, all your writing because you're on Twitter and you only have 280 characters. So you have to get really good at being direct, being succinct, cutting the fluff and using simple words. Otherwise it's, it's just not going to hit because people have such short attention spans on social media. So if you don't know how to capture attention and keep it, you're going to find out real quick because your stuff's going to flop because you have that feedback, which is so useful. Like you don't really get that with any other medium. I mean, you do, but it takes a lot longer. With Twitter, it's like instant. Like, you know, if this is going to hit or not. So yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a ton of parallels with copywriting. And then you just need to know the strategy of how to grow on Twitter and you supply that and you're golden. And CTAs as well. I mean, there's all the elements baked into Twitter ghostwriting. Going on the client side of thing, one of the challenges is ghostwriting and people's stigma on it is how does this person come off authentic like themselves with having someone ghostwriting for them? So how do you overcome that challenge of making their the ghostwriting voice feel like the person you're ghostwriting for? I think a lot of people overcomplicate it. If you want to capture someone's voice, it's mainly their story. If you can capture their story, you kind of get their tonality. You, you like if, if you're telling someone's story, the reader usually reads it in that person's tone. It's, it's kind of weird. Like a lot of people are trying too hard, but I think if you just nail the person's story and how they say stuff, you're golden. And you get that from interviewing the client. So one of my clients, he says, gentlemen a lot or fellas. So I use that, like sprinkle it in. I don't go too hard on it, but it's mainly just capturing their tone. So some clients are very serious, so you don't make jokes. Some are more funny, so you make more jokes. Um, It's just little nuances like that, but you're probably not going to nail their voice 100%, but no one notices. It's really, if you're just writing their stories, it's like the reader just applies the tonality in that way they perceive it that way it's weird i've seen some ghostwriters who've you could just tell it's not that person just because they're just not great ghostwriters i think goes what you said with great ghostwriters they they capture the story they interview the client they sprinkle in a couple words but obviously this person's probably never written online before anyway so who knows how they actually would write online anyway exactly What is a copywriting hill you would die on? You need to write as simple as possible. I've had the tweet where any writing 
that requires you to pull out a dictionary is bad writing. And I've had people lose their minds like, oh, what do you mean? Like, blah, blah, blah. But I believe the complexity should come from your ideas. A lot of people, they'll use big words to hide the fact that they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they rely on these big words to just seem smart. I think that's some of the dumbest shit you can do. Um, because at the end of the day, your writing is just displaying ideas or showing ideas in its best light. And if you're confusing readers with big words or long sentences, you're taking away from the idea. And that's not, in my opinion, that's not what writing is. I think writing is spreading ideas and you're spreading it in a way that is the best or that will have the best reach and most impact on people. And the way to do that is use simple words, use shorter sentences. And that's not to say always use short sentences or always use simple words. I mean, there's a time and a place, but it's kind of like the 80, 20 rule where 80% of the time you use simple, shorter sentences. And then the rest, maybe if it, if it requires it, use a big word or something like that. But I believe most writing should be simple. And I think by doing that as a writer, you're going to understand, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about because I can't simplify this. And it's going to force you to look into that subject more or force you to think about a subject more. And it's going to increase your understanding and it's going to increase the reader's understanding. And it's just a win-win. What copywriting should do is like the main goal is to have the audience understand what you're talking about. And the only way to do that is to write simple. There might, I, I, I've seen this too, cause I've said it before online and people come about, what about if you're talking about to like a rocket scientist that uses like big words and stuff like that. Um, but that also comes down to like knowing who that person's audience is um, at the same time, but it's still, even if a rocket scientist, you still could broaden and simplify it. Cause even if you simplify it, they will understand the simple terms and the, more in-depth terms that you say. Yeah, that's actually a good point you bring up. So if you're, if you know your audience, so say if I'm a, a fitness coach or I'm ghostwriting for a fitness coach and I'm talking to a bunch of gym bros, I'm not going to say, do you want to attain hypertrophy in your muscular region? You know, you say, do you want to get Jack bro? Like using words like that. Um, <laughs> and then if you're talking to a rocket scientist, sure. Yeah, there's probably... I mean, there are terms you, you should probably use to be really specific about what you're talking about, but it depends what your goals are. Is your goal to uh, talk to this audience where it's super niche, super technical, or is your goal to get engagement, appeal to a mass audience? So yeah, there's a, there's a time and a place for it all. Could you go into a little bit of what makes simple copy? What are some like practical steps? You want to always ask yourself, okay, if I was to present this piece of writing to a seven-year-old, would they understand? Then we go five-year-old. And if no, rewrite it. If yes, you're all good. And there's tools you can use to kind of help you with this. So one, which is my favorite, is Pro Writing Aid. You can get a lifetime membership for, I think, 400 bucks. It's like Grammarly on steroids. Uh, what that will do is it will edit or it'll show you where you could edit stuff, where you've made mistakes, stuff like that. But one of the best features about it is it tells you your grade level that your 
writing is at. So if you use longer sentences and bigger words, the higher your grade level is. It's like reading comprehension. So typically you want to have your writing at a fifth grade or below, ideally third grade level. And what that's going to do is show you, okay, you are using simple words. You, you're you not using complicated sentences, stuff like that. And so if I'm at a college level reading comprehension, you're like, oh, okay, I really need to simplify this. And then as you simplify it, it'll bring your grade level down. Uh, there's another app called Hemingway. I think it's $20. It does this, just that feature pretty much. Uh, so it's really good tool as well. Um, but yeah, you always want to ask yourself, would a seven-year-old understand this or whatever age, five-year-old? That's a great way to do it. You said earlier that you you talked to someone who helped you with the process of copywriting ghostwriting. What is the biggest tip you learned from them? Oh, uh, yeah, JK, JK Molina, he was, he pretty much set the standard for stuff. So a lot of it was, wasn't the technical stuff. It was more of him paving the way, showing it was possible to land clients for 3k a month, 4k a month, whatever. I came up with the more technical stuff myself, but him showing it was possible was really the big mindset shift for me. And that, that was huge. That was huge. Just seeing, okay, this guy's killing it with this. I can do this too. And then I just developed my own systems and all of that. And it was also, yeah, I asked him questions from time to time. That was really helpful. And he just showed me I was overcomplicating a lot of the stuff. So it, yeah, that helped a lot when we're starting out in any niche or job or whatever skill, we tend to overcomplicate it. So we do all this stuff and then we get advanced and we realize, Oh, I don't need all this, all this stuff. So yeah, that was the main thing. He just helped me simplify the process and showed me what was possible. What is one thing that you implemented in your systems that has helped you scale? This is something I've really been working on lately because what got me from point A to C isn't going to get me from point C to E. But, uh, well, first off, it was delegating. So I charge high prices right off the bat because I'm like, okay, I'm not going to charge low prices because I'm going to get shitty results for my clients and I'm just going to make less money. Clients aren't going to get better results. So one was charging higher prices so I could hire writers so I could buy more retweets and make more profit and get better results and then get more referrals because I'm getting great re results, use more social proof, get more clients. Um, so that was, that was one thing I did right away. Another thing that I'm doing right now is creating SOPs for everything, like creating tutorials on how to do stuff. Okay. Step-by-step, step, here's what you do. Follow this, blah, 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 creating frameworks. So it can be replicated multiple times. If people are lost, okay, let's look at this SOP. We got to do this. So when you delegate, look at this video. You're not wasting time. Like just check this video, do this step-by-step. Step. If you're lost, do this. If you really need help, ask questions. Um, so that's the biggest thing I'm doing right now is creating these videos and it's helping me scale because I'm systemizing more stuff. I'm not having to go in myself. I'm just delegating. I create the SOPs once and I can use it multiple times. And that's what I'm really, really focusing on right now. And then I hired a manager, Joey, to come in and just do what I do so I can exit myself from the business, only come in if there's a big fire, and then work on higher ROI stuff with my audience and do that. So systems are huge. 
everything you're doing at the beginning, start documenting it and start looking where you can cut fluff, what's not needed, where the high ROI tasks are, focus on that, create SOPs, delegate, rinse and repeat. What you just said there is gold because I think it could be applied to any business because I was in marketing ops and if you want to this say scale your team in another market or scale your team and or hire someone to take over your place if they don't have guiding principles sop of how you did step by step you're just gonna have to teach them over and over and over but if you have that all documented it's so much easier to just take that and copy and paste your process multiple times and then you can get refine that sop as it goes to see but what you said about writing things down, I think so many people make that mistake at the beginning that they're not writing down their process and then they forget how to do it. And, or when they want to scale, they have to go back and remember every step that took got them to that point, which is the hardest part. Yeah. It also forces you to understand your process better because you're explaining it to someone. So maybe it again comes down to, if you can't simplify this in a way where someone else understands, you don't understand. And that forces you, okay, what am I, what do I got to do here to simplify this? And it, it will even simplify your processes because you're doing all that. So that's another bonus. You've made a lot of people go viral. I mean, you have even in your company, just go viral, bro, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> what is the, the DNA of a viral tweet what what goes into something that goes viral first off it's the idea like that's the foundations if your idea is shit then no amount of good writing is gonna fix it it's like putting whipped cream on dog shit um so you want to pick a good idea that solves a pain point ideally because that's what really makes people engage solving problems or gets them to a desired outcome so in the essence, it's kind of the same thing. So if someone has this desire, it's kind of like a problem to them. Um, but that's the way I think about it. So let's take sleep, for example. That's a big problem a lot of people have is they don't get enough sleep. And it, it affects their life because I mean, they're tired, they're lethargic, they can't think straight, they feel like crap, their gym performance is, is shitty. So this is a big problem in someone's life. And if you're presenting a thread like, you sleep less than eight hours, read this or whatever. People are going to click on that because that's a big pain point in many people's lives. So there's a high viral potential opposed to cold email. If you're like, use these 10 cold email scripts to get a lot of business, you're going to get way less people because that's not a big appeal to a lot of people. And that's fine. You might get higher quality followers, but it's all about the framing in the thread headline or whatever tweet of, like what problem are you solving or what desired outcome are you getting them to? So with the cold email example, if I really wanted to maximize reach on that, I would imply a big benefit of if you want to get to 10K a month, this one skill will take you there. So notice how I'm not talking about these 10 email scripts will get you what get these clients. It's like implying a big benefit and using curiosity to get people just to click on the thread. Because like that's what you want to do in the headline. You just want to get people to click. It's like an email. So like, that's a big focus is just have the idea and then, then get into the writing. Okay. So let's go back to the sleep thread. If I was to write a sleep thread, what I would do is, okay, I got my idea. 
I want to help people sleep eight hours a night. Let's list out all the bullet points of all the steps that I would suggest to get people to sleep eight hours a night. So let's say avoid blue light at night, get morning sunlight and cool down your room temperature. So those are all stepping stones to get them to the desired result. Now you can scale that up to how many points you want, but let's just use three, for example. So I'm like, okay, I got my three points to get people to the desired outcome. Now, when I go to write those three points in individual tweets, I want to answer three questions. Okay. What is the point? What is the advice I'm giving? Why is that important? And how is that applicable? So those three questions, you want to answer that in each of your body tweets. In each body tweet, you want to make it like one tweet. Like if that was to get retweeted on someone's timeline, it would make sense. And that's why I follow that three-step framework. So let's say avoid blue light. Okay, so the what? Avoid blue light. Why is that important? Blue light suppresses your melatonin and makes it harder to fall asleep. So that's the why. And then how? How is it applicable? Which is actionable advice. Um, Avoid screens one hour before bed and wear blue blocking glasses and maybe use candle lights in your room. So you, you answer the three questions, the what, why, and how it's applicable. And the reason I follow that is because it's like a complete cycle. It's a complete loop in the mind of the reader. Hits that dopamine. It's super actionable. And because it does that, people are going to retweet that tweet in the thread. And because it's framed as a single tweet and it gets spread on timelines because people are retweeting it, it's going to hit that dopamine for everybody else. They're going to click on that tweet. They're going to see, oh, it's part of a thread. Then they're all going to read the thread and it hits that feedback loop. You just continually do that with each uh, body tweet. Yeah. Then at the end you do a thread summary. So a lot of people will write thread summary or TLDR at the end and they'll put all the main points. You don't want to do that. You want to get a really baity headline. So how to get six hours of work done in two and then list all the main points you had in the body tweet. And what that's going to do is since you're optimizing that for retweets and it makes sense in a single tweet, that's going to bring in way more people to your thread because people love lists. And at the end, they're going to retweet that and it's just going to bring in so much more traffic. So that's another key point. And then learning how to read, write headlines. Uh, I won't go too deep into it, but you want to make it seem really easy to do. And you do that by making the concept seem really easy and using simple words. Uh, you imply a big benefit. So people usually want money, status, or to solve problems and then use curiosity. So don't give them, don't try to sell them on the whole thread right away. Like just hint at what the, the benefit's going to be and get, make them to click, make them click the headline or click the thread to find out. And that's how you're going to get them more invested. And then that's when you go into the details more. I think you just gave like seven figs worth of um, (laughs) information right there that could make someone super rich. Uh, Yeah, I love it. I think that was, I also, the point that you made about each tweet as thinking of it as an individual tweet, as part of a story, I think that's genius because especially on Twitter where people are reading and every tweet has a possibility of hitting another timeline where other platforms, you don't have that luxury. 
but everything you said, even in with the hook, could be applied to any other channel where you have that that benefit there. And then in the middle, you just have to make that more concise on a TikTok or a LinkedIn post or something like that. Exactly. Like I'm using, I use all my tweets and I transfer it to Instagram and I just popped off. I grew to 180,000 followers in two months just doing that. And now I'm turning my tweets into reels. So I'm taking the hooks and stuff from from my tweets because I know it works. And then I'm just applying it to reels like right away. Um, I had one pop off the other day. It's like, do you want to focus better than 97% of people or something? Um, that popped off. So yeah, it's just finding ways to repurpose it and then applying it to other platforms. For people that don't know, how long do you spend on the headline versus the other parts of it? Right now I'm a lot faster with headlines because I've just done this so much for myself and clients. Your headline you should spend most of your time on because you're, how you frame your copy is everything. For example, I had a thread on Focus that I launched and it got 600 likes. Two months later, I repurposed it. Same content, absolutely same. The only thing I changed was the headline. It got 24,000 likes. It's like, holy shit. So how you frame it is absolutely everything. If you're not, if you don't know how to get attention, then you don't expect to get any. So you should spend majority of your, your time on your headline. Uh, I forget what famous copywriter said. I think spend 80% of your time. Ogilvy. On yeah. yeah. Ogilvy. I, I like that too, because I think the number one goal is to get your shit read. And then once it's read, then you start getting them down the thread with all the things you said. But if people scroll past the first tweet, none of the other tweets matter. Exactly. Um, so love, that's gold. One question I have for you as well is if someone was to get started today, what is something that they would come back to you a few years later and thank you for that advice? Definitely charge higher prices in the beginning. Okay. So first you need to know how to grow your own account. That's like the biggest mistake most people make. They don't know how to grow their own account and they're like, I'm going to do this for other people. No, because they're not going to take you seriously. You're going to look like an idiot and uh, you're not going to get good results. Typically, you're like, you don't know how to grow your own account. How are you going to expect to charge people to grow their account? Like it's bonkers, man. So learn how to grow your own account first. And so that comes from studying copywriting and I mean, posting on social media, seeing what hits, uh, because I don't know about other people, but I would get super anxious if I didn't know how to get results for clients. So that's number one. Number two, it's not just about writing. I mean, it's also about the strategy. So learn, study what's working for other accounts and emulate that. Don't copy it, just emulate it. And then again, like write down your SOPs or make videos of SOPs as you're going through stuff. It's going to save you so much time. Uh, charge higher prices. That's another thing. Like a lot of people, a lot of ghostwriters, they're charging like a thousand dollars or seven hundred dollars for ghostwriting. What that's going to do is you can't get good results because you can't buy retweets. You're not going to be able to delegate to thread writers because that's going to eat into your profits. Your clients are going to take you seriously because you're so cheap, and they're like, "Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing because he's charging cheap prices." 
you're not going to be as invested. The same with the client because it's just not that much money. And um, it's a hack to just charge higher prices straight up, um, straight away. Uh, and you do that, you can do that by having a lot of social proof in the beginning. So if you have to work for free or cheap for a few clients or people, friends, get great results and then leverage that to charge higher prices as soon as possible because it makes life so much easier. I think the key, what you said there as well, is you have to get the first two or three clients to prove it out and then you can go start. I think a lot of people start charging this what everybody the best are charging say like 5k a month 10k a month and then they're like why am i not getting clients yeah because you don't have also what i've noticed in the client business the best clients are the ones that are referred by your other clients so once you prove results with someone else they'll start talking to other people and say hey you should work with this person because they're crushing it for me you don't even have to sell, man. Like you, yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's go. Like I closed a huge bad. deal in the DMs just because of the results I've gotten. I was like, yeah, it's this price. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's go. And I was like, I wasn't even trying. I just quoted the most ridiculous price I could think of. They just said, yeah. And that's the power of social proof. Like you just hop on calls and you just don't have to sell. It's awesome. That's why what you said about landing the first couple, people think – that will have trickle down effects for so many of your future clients because they will talk to other clients. And then once you start, then you start getting rid of the ones that are terrible and get them out of the, um, last question I have for you is, um, who are some writers that have in- inspired you in the space? Dan Coe, who's huge. Just his simplicity and the way he words stuff. Uh, he's been a great mentor. I hired him as a coach as well early on. He really he was instrumental to giving me the confidence and the accountability to pursue everything. Uh, J.K. Molina as well, just showing me what was possible. He's been a great friend as well. Both of them have. Julian Shapiro, I love his his simplicity of writing and all the great copywriters. So. Uh, Drew Whitman, Cash Retising, Joe Sugarman. Joe Sugarman was my base in the beginning. Dan Kennedy. I haven't read much David Ogilvy, but uh, yeah, those are those are all really instrumental people in my progression of writing. I think it's important to study older writers that are still relevant today because there's a reason that they're still relevant today. And then newer people who are doing it well because they've taken those skills and translating it to more of a, a modern way, say Twitter or LinkedIn or newsletter writing, they've taken those principles. So it's good to learn from people who are crushing it right now, but also so underrated learning from people whose books are still bestsellers a hundred years later. Yeah. Not even just, not even just copywriting ones, but uh, like some of the ones I learned the most was uh, Roy Peter Clark writing tools. I was just on writing and then Gary Provost, hundred ways to improve your writing, both phenomenal books that just really taught me to cut the fluff, get really simple with your words and be direct and how to format stuff. So yeah, big shout out to those dudes too. The last question I have is where could people find you? How people follow your stuff? I know you're, you're big on 
now well eventually you're going to be big on tiktok and <laughs> yeah uh, I get as well. uh, but where can people find you yeah so i'm on twitter at wrongs to write w-r-i-t-e and then i'm on instagram dakota robertson without the a so d-k-o-t-a robertson because some bastard stole that name so i got no a I always complained to my mom that she couldn't be original with my name because now I have to fight the SEO and the the algorithms to get everything for my name, which is actually probably made me a better marketer because I had to fight for it. But still, it's just uh, that's one thing. If I have a kid, I'm going to try to get them the most unique name that's that's acceptable that they won't hate me for. But yeah, Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Well, maybe not Obi-Wan Kenobi, but something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. I really uh, enjoyed this. Appreciate the thoughtful questions and for having me on. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.